This is Slack and Slash Productions. Bringing you an extra special bonus Strahdcast, a fast cast. This time, DM Scott Sharplin and Assistant DM Gail Bird talk about how to use fear in your tabletop role-playing game. One of the first times I played Ravenloft, I dropped the characters, or lured the characters into the demi-plane of dread, and then they were doing some traveling and they decided they needed a place to stop for the night. And I didn't have an encounter ready for them. I don't really believe in random encounters. So I pulled something out of my ass, and it involved them finding a dilapidated old mansion. And inside the mansion, I decided, were a poltergeist and a shambling mound. (laughs) Yeah, pretty random. I don't really remember why I chose those two things. But it probably had something to do with challenge ratings, like here was a suitable fight for these particular characters. But because I chose these very random monsters, and then more importantly, I think, because I rolled them out, I I revealed them in a very gradual and somewhat creepy way, it became one of the most memorable encounters in that campaign. Like, this is 20, 25 years ago. And I still remember it very distinctly, because they knew there was something haunting the house, but they couldn't see it. And then in the dark, and with the storm, you know, flashing behind the windows, there was this enormous hulking silhouette that smelled like a swamp, and they didn't know what that was. Because everything was unexpected and and ambiguous, uh, it, it really freaked my players out. And that's my way of introducing the subject of making scary, making uh, a a role-playing game genuinely frightening in some way or other. I lucked out with that encounter, and I don't necessarily recommend that DMs just choose two random monsters and (laughs) shove them into a house together, uh, because you can get a lot of very silly uh, odd couple scenarios out of that. But... You will not be surprised to learn that I do have some other ideas about how to generate fear in a D&D game. You have story ideas? I no. have storytelling ideas, yeah. No kidding. Tell well, me all about them, please. First, I want to differentiate between two types of fear. Mm. There's in-game fear, which is basically when your characters are scared. And it's worth pointing out that all editions of D&D, as far as I know, have a mechanic for this. You can actually just gain the frightened condition. In uh, 3rd edition 3.5, there was a whole series of them. You were, um, I forget what they were all called, but you were, you know, shocked and then frightened and then scared and then terrified. And and they all imposed specific penalties. So uh, uh, a DM who doesn't want to go through any of the business of crafting fear can simply just say, you failed your saving throw, okay, your character's now frightened. Here's what you do. But that takes all of the agency out of the game for for players, right? They don't get to, they can describe, I guess, how they're frightened, but they don't get to choose. So the first category, in-game fear, is how to convince your players that their characters should be afraid in this scenario and to play it accordingly. It's harder than it sounds. 
The second one, which is even harder than the first one, is meta-fear. It's the players being scared, right? The players who know that they're not actually living out this campaign, and they're not their characters, are still scared of something. <laughs> That's the hard trick to do. Yeah. But it's not impossible. And, I mean, when we watch a horror movie, we're in the same position, right? We know we're not in that horror movie, mm -hmm. but there's still tricks within the design of the film that engender those feelings of, of fear inside us. So I think it's it's possible to do, mm -hmm. um, just hard. A lot of D&D uh, resources, especially Ravenloft uh, materials, will have sections telling you how to do all of this stuff. So you don't really need to listen to me. There's plenty of ideas out there. Maybe I should have opened with that. Um, a lot of them are... To me, they're very peripheral, like turn the lights down low in the room where you're gaming and mm. uh, play spooky music and like stuff like that, which I don't know. Uh, I mean, it could work if all put together, but to me, it's very cheesy. It, it's it's like you're, it's like the Wizard of Oz trying to make it look like it's magical, you know, or scary in this case, but the players can see behind the curtain, even if the lights are low. So it really comes down to how you're telling the story, I think. And for the first kind of fear, in-game fear, uh, I think that your best technique, your best tool, is ambiguity. If you emphasize the unknown, then that's a big clue to your players that their characters have a reason to be afraid. So you walk into a subterranean chamber and you see two orcs and the orcs stand up and draw their swords and attack, there's nothing ambiguous about any of that, right? As soon as you say orc, the players know what it is, and therefore the characters also presumably know what they're up against. Mm -hmm. But if you walk into that same chamber and you, the DM, describe these true two humanoids with you know, twisted, deformed, porcine faces... Uh, they're slavering and drooling. Uh, when they see you, they utter some incoherent cry, and they draw these bizarrely curved uh, wrought iron blades. You know, that's saying, that's using 50 words instead of 10, and generally speaking, writers shouldn't do that, but a storyteller can use that to their advantage. First of all, it's not just about saying not saying orcs, right? It's not about covering up the fact that they're orcs. You can still tell the, the PCs that they're orcs, especially if they've encountered orcs before. But when they encounter a new creature, don't just reveal to them that it's an owl bear, right? Describe it to them in ways that make them that give them the clue that there's something to be scared of, that there's something unknown here. And even if they do know what that creature is, if they've encountered owl bears before, you can add little details to it that suggest that there's something different about these ones. You know, so the last owl bears they fought, maybe they had brown feathers, but this time the creature that rears up above them is, you know, easily head and shoulders above the other owl bears, and its feathers are jet black, and it, it smells of the grave. And now, if they're good players, they're like, okay, something's different about this. And if they're role-playing well, then their characters respond that way as well. They're like, okay, I'm going to cast the spell that I was saving for the big bad. Even if it's just an ordinary owlbear, they think it's tough, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that keeps players like Laird, who know all the things about all the the monsters and stuff, keeps them from metagaming too hard. Like, it, he 
Yeah. Keeps him from thinking he knows what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even even if he's still doing it on one level, it reminds him that he's not supposed to be doing it, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's something that uh, long-time gamers easily forget. There are probably some gamers who can't escape from that. Like, their, their knowledge of the game or the way their minds work is so fixed in the idea of having this knowledge that there's no way to get around it. But there, I think there are still other ways... To, to, to give them that clue. The next suggestion I have is to really emphasize the wrongness of something, the unnaturalness of something. Um, the, the best word for this is uncanny, uh, which is uh, a word Sigmund Freud created to apply to something ordinary, something that seems normal, but there's just something off about it. There's, you know, it, it's, it's been normal and familiar up till now, and then suddenly something is wrong with it. And I think that you can uh, get a lot of mileage out of that, even if you describe it in the terms I've just used. Uh, I especially use it to apply to undead. So a zombie is the perfect example of the uncanny. It looks human, it's human in form, but as it advances towards you, it moves in a way that no human would ever move. You know, So find a couple of adjectives to describe that sort of movement. Um, my favorite is herky-jerky, but, uh, you know, you do you. Um, it, 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 it lurches and stumbles towards you in a way that makes it clear that it is not human or that it's not possessed with life. And so by juxtaposing something familiar with something unfamiliar, you're again giving them this visual clue, this, this, this um, imaginative clue that their characters have something to be afraid of, that, that they, should, they should be cautious about that. Another way is to have NPCs get scared. Um, I usually have an NPC tagging along uh, with most adventures, and the NPC is not always there just to give the players that kind of cue, but if I want a particular emotional reaction, that's a great way to start it, right? Um, so the NPC that's coming along with your, your players, whether it's a henchman or a guide or even a prisoner that they've got, you know, they're, they're escorting somebody somewhere. When they enter the next chamber, that NPC notice that their eyes dilate, they start to breathe differently, uh, they break out in a cold sweat, you know, or maybe there's some actual role-playing. It's like, come on, guys, I don't, I, I don't think we should be here. I don't think we should... I, I, can we just move on? You know, what, what, what will it take to get you to, to just leave this, you know? And, and it's irrational fear because the NPC doesn't know what to expect, right? You know, the DM knows, but the NPC shouldn't know. But you're giving the NPC this hunch, I suppose, <laughs> that serves both you and the players very well. Um, the NPC isn't going to be able to tell them what to expect. You know, they're not going to be like, get out your silver weapons, guys. It feels like there's a werewolf in the next room. Right? It's almost the opposite of that. It's going, uh, I don't know what we need to do to prepare for this, but we, 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 we had better, we, we gotta do something, right? Now, if you overuse this, then I think the players will get sick of it. You don't want somebody tagging along who's afraid of absolutely everything. Um, and it, it can risk falling into some kind of stereotypes as well, uh, if you're not careful. So, uh, I would use it sparingly, um, but Anytime you get the feeling that your players are being overconfident or you'd like to evoke that sense of fear, then you've got a, a resource for doing that. If you don't have an NPC accompanying the, the 
the characters, then you can always use sort of other NPCs in, in the surrounding environment. And this is a technique that you can trace all the way back to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Before Jonathan Harker meets the Count, he stops in a little village and stays the night there. And when he tells the, the locals that he's going up to Castle Dracula, they freak the fuck out, right? And they, they start giving him, like, holy symbols and, oh, my God, I'll pray for your soul. And, like, they just, they cannot handle that information. Do that, do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if Harker were a PC, if he were being role-played like a PC, then probably he would say, what is there to be afraid of? What, what do I need to prepare for? But, again, the NPCs may not know that. They may just have this overwhelming fear of something. Maybe it's passed down from generations. Maybe it's a magical fear that they're under some kind of Maybe curse. Maybe they failed their fear safe. They, fa they failed their fear safe. Whatever it is, you don't want to give them extra information because that just makes PCs more confident. Mm. But if you give them that role-playing cue, everybody in this region is terrified of whatever is in that ruined temple, then they will hopefully play accordingly. You know, are going to stop very, and buy some potions. At the very least, they're going to be more cautious, precisely. <laughs> And then my further tip for in-game fear is related to that. It's, it's taking the idea of an NPC getting scared one step further. You can have the whole environment get scared. So you, you know the trope of you're walking through the forest. You come to a part of the forest where all the birds have fallen silent. Nothing's moving. Even the wind is still. And that little change is a signal to anybody who's playing or watching. Something's about to go down. Right? There's mm -hmm. something around here that, that uh, deserves attention. So, and you can take that trick, that trope, as far as you want in a magical environment. You know, as you get further into the forest, you can see that the trees are even growing away from this glade. You know, they're leaning away as if trying to escape. Um, or maybe you do see lots of critters and animals that are running the other way uh, from where you're going. Um, any and all of the weather, the weather can respond uh, as if it's scared of a particular spot. So again, you can use that sparingly, because if nature is terrified of every orc, then how does nature even, <laughs> how does it even get along? But uh, when you use it, and you use it effectively, again, it doesn't give the PCs any extra information. It, it's, it's not arming them with something, but it is a big, big clue to them that this encounter is meant to be played as a fear-based encounter, you know, a terrifying one. Hmm. Now, all of that is how you give your players the cue to make their characters scared. And if you're really lucky, if the players are really invested, then they might also get scared, right? If they're, if they're really invested and uh, immersed in your game. But I've thought about it for a long time, and I've come to the conclusion that there really aren't that many things that players are actually afraid of except losing their characters mm -hmm. or losing vital parts of their characters. So if you really want to make your players genuinely scared of an encounter, then you have to convince them that that encounter is going to either kill them TPK style or it's going to take away from them something that they absolutely love. <laughs> to stop you why is it so important to terrify your friends what's <laughs> it's not necessarily what's important what's up man why is this so important why 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 <laughs> do you want people to be frightened why well is because ravenloft is a gothic horror campaign okay the fear is 
is baked right into it. I'm not saying that all campaigns should you should strive to terrify your players. No, no far from it. Um, we're having fun, we're playing a game, we should be relaxed. But if your game calls for fear, if it, if it has that as a motif, as, a, as an intrinsic component, then yeah, you should find a way to make them afraid. My players are afraid of Strahd. Like, they already know mm -hmm. that they can't confront Strahd right now. Mm -hmm. they, they know that for metagaming reasons, mm -hmm. right? They understand that it's a long-form campaign where they have to beef themselves up before they go fight the big bad. But hopefully they also know it for in-game reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, enough NPCs have told them that Strahd is way out of their class. So, overpowered creatures, or creatures that appear overpowered, are going to get a stronger reaction. And you can do this through lots of different things. You can do this through illusions. That's a great one. I had a DM who threw a, a creature at me. It was kind of an extra planar demon type thing. But it was wearing the illusion of an ancient blue dragon. Oh, shit. We are not ready to fight an ancient blue dragon. Um, you know, huge relief when it turned out that it was only a CR-12 creature instead of a CR-18 creature or whatever. Um, so those, you know, magical illusions. But even just hearing about something by reputation. So again, those superstitious villagers, they might be convinced that it's an actual devil that lives up in that castle, uh, rather than a low-level magic user who likes to use prestidigitation to make lights and brimstone come out of his windows. Um, anything that you can do to make the players think they're punching above their weight class is going to instill at least a little bit of that uncertainty. You know? And that's different from actually throwing overpowered creatures at them, mm -hmm. right? If you do that, and if you do it too often, then that's just an unfair game, and the players are no longer scared, they're pissed off. So the impression of being up against something that they can't fight is always more effective. Two things that players are especially afraid of is loss of levels and loss of magic items. Loss of levels has been mostly taken out of 5th ed, I've noticed. The spells... Vampires don't do that now? Vampires do not do that now. Or do they? Uh -huh. mm. Yeah, here's the trick. If, <laughs> if, if you don't have a monster that does that, or a spell that does that, it's still nice to give... PCs the impression that they run the risk of that. Mm. And again, that can be as simple as a bit of dis description. You have an NPC, and that NPC gets attacked by the vampire, and as the vampire is doing necrotic damage, which is, you know, just damage, uh, you have to describe the effect that it seems to be sucking the life force right out of this NPC that, you know, their their eyes get sunken down in their sockets and their skin gets all gray and, and wrinkled. and Like, describing what you think level loss looks like so that the PCs can go, oh, wait, shit. Uh, Run the other way. Go yeah, away. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we can't fight this. Um, you know, or, or don't let it touch you or whatever. Um, there are a few spells that do ability damage. They can reduce a certain ability score down to one or, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and that's almost as bad. It's pretty uh, terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, use it sparingly. But if you if you give them the impression or the, the, the rumor that they're facing this, they have an additional reason to be scared. And finally, there's just nothing quite as terrifying to a player as having 
their favorite magic item crumble in front of their eyes, right? <laughs> their their magic sword, the the sword of Duquesne, <laughs> uh, something that they've really invested their character identity in that suddenly becomes incredibly vulnerable. Um, so again, you don't need to come right out and destroy the paladin's favorite sword, but maybe that NPC who dies in advance uh, is wielding a, a mundane sword, and we see it crumble into dust when the monster touches it or when this ray strikes it. Um, wait a minute. Does that mean that all of my weapons and armor are similarly vulnerable? You don't even really have to explain it if it's not something that's going to change the game, the outcome of the battle, right? Um, you don't need you don't need a, a fancy in rules explanation for something that's essentially a cutscene. So if you can find a way to deliver a cutscene or or a detail that suggests that something they value is at great risk then they're going to get scared. You, know, you walk through the courtyard, there are uh, fragments of armor and weapons strewn all around, and bones, of course, there's always bones. But you notice that the armor is rusted and crumbled. Well, I mean, maybe it's just been raining a lot lately. <laughs> armor rusts, it's a thing. But if they see that, as soon as you say rusted, they're like, Rust monsters, rut row, right? That's every fighter's worst nightmare. Is wait, 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 huh? wait, wait, wait. Is a rust monster a real thing? Are you making that no, up? No, it's all made up, Gail. I listen. <laughs> next, it's written down somewhere. Next time on Fastcast, uh, the rust monster, ecology and <laughs> habitat. I hate you. Yes, rust monsters are a thing. They are one of a handful of creatures that can destroy. Swords Fuck at a touch. Ship? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and actually Sheila, my wife, played uh, a paladin whose magic sword did get destroyed by a rust monster. Oh, no. I did not even How'd that go? pull my punch there. <laughs> well, she was pissed off, but then she died and came back as a pixie. Uh, yeah, and yeah, because yeah. she was a different size category, she needed a different sword. Long story. Thanks for listening. Strawcast is produced by Slack and Slash Productions out of Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, also known as Unamagi, the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. It's based on The Curse of Strahd Revamped, published by Wizards of the Coast, as well as The Curse of Strahd Legendary Edition, published by Beetle and Grimms. But the participants are not affiliated with either company, and we do not seek to profit off this podcast. You can get in touch with us and find more of our podcasts at slackandslashpod.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, you name it. Be sure to leave a review if you like what we do. Until next time, be brave and shine bright. Shine bright.